Shopping Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave. Uh, kids are at home. Rupert, and with me is Chris, comfortable in a little tiny sound booth. Quick. Yeah. Hey, hey, Chris. Yeah, that's me. It's funny to be in the booth because I've been spending so much time at my at my desk, like getting it set up for good audio and stuff too, which is so funny because I have this booth. But sometimes it's nice to just. Stay at your own desk when you record something. So I liked your you had you, sorry <laughs> you you had a poster a blog or tweets and you're like when I want to sound really good I t- I talk from here and when I sound want to sound really good I talk from here. I thought that was pretty. <laughs> Yeah, Pretty I just cool. am lucky in that way. But I, you know, it's like it's like at home we're like organizing the closets, and you know, like the virus has us like doing doing you know all these like home projects that otherwise wouldn't get done, and it's happening uh, in my work environment too. You know, getting it all set up beautifully. Anyway, uh, uh, that's neither here nor there. We're going to end up talking a bunch about I don't know browsers and the standards process and the web and future things and past things and all kinds of interesting stuff because we have an awesome guest who I can't believe hasn't been on the show before, but I believe this is the first time. Brian Cardell. Hey, Brian. Hey, how you doing? I think this is my first time. Actually, I'm also fascinated by that. I thought I had been on, but I, I think I haven't actually. Well, it won't be the last time because Brian has, is there's the, the, the most interesting things of the, the web tend to follow you around or maybe you follow them around or something. But you're always at the, <laughs> the lead of some interesting stuff happening. You know, one of those was interested in a lot. Yeah. Well, that's great. There's um kind of most recently, maybe this will be a point where we can, end up talking about lots of things future and past but um i certainly linked to it because it, it ended up being kind of the the home base url for everyone recently talking about container queries again or in your blog post was called toward responsive elements um and it was just exciting because it was the first time in a long time anybody had Anybody involved with browsers at all signaled any kind of possibility that anything at all was going to happen with this. So it was just like, oh, what? Yay! You know, like, and it's like, doesn't even matter what it was. Like, any interest at all was exciting. So maybe we could talk about that first, just because it's still exciting, if you ask me. Yeah, sure. Um, it's uh, it's a, actually a thing that I want to talk about more this year, like, in general, that there's a lot that happens that um, there's there's too much that happens in in the <laughs> web platform and standards and everything. It's like um, this huge fire hose, and um, <clears throat> different uh, different people uh, are having conversations at different levels. And it's not that there has been no conversation. There's been lots of conversation. Like the conversation never stops. Um, uh, specifically about this one or just about everything browser? I, I mean, about about everything, but like there's always somebody trying to advance some conversation about some aspect of container queries and like when is the appropriate time to introduce what ideas and how much have you figured out? And um, so, yeah, I would say last year um, when I came to work at Egalia, this is one of the things that I was really interested in pursuing. So I pursued with uh, people in the community and with my fellow Egalians and outreach to people on Chromium and WebKit and Firefox 
Cool. So you put yourself at the center of this container queries conversation, but in some part because of your job, but also probably your proclivities of being interested in this kind of thing. Definitely. Yes. Mm -hmm. So let's, but, you know, I think a lot of people haven't in their minds what they think container queries are, or maybe there's listeners who just have no idea what we're talking about. And so as a little prequel to this, I'll say this is so hot because it's, it, you know, if, if you ask people who write a lot of CSS, what's the number one thing you want in CSS, you're probably going to get this as the answer. You know, especially in aggregate, if you ask lots of people, this will be end up being the number one thing. And what it is, is like, what we have is this tool called Media Queries, which swept the nation, or not even the nation, the dang world. Everybody uses the crap out of Media Queries for doing different things to a web page Based on different things, but I'll, I'll, the probably the number one most used, in fact, I would bet a million dollars on this, is like the width of the browser window. Like when the browser window is at this width, then do, apply this special set of CSS, which unlocked this whole world of building websites um, in a responsive way. But it turns out now, years later, like, you know what would be also really cool is if I didn't, if it wasn't just the browser width that I could ask for, I could ask for, like, the the width of any container within that. Did I characterize that okay? I think you did. And it's, uh, in my experience, it is a near universal reaction that when somebody learns uh, responsive design, and they learn media queries, uh, you learn with something simple that is inevitably based on the browser window because that makes sense. Uh, but within, I don't know, a day or two days, uh, <laughs> you you say, okay, now wait, how do I adjust this so that it's about the thing that it's inside of, not the whole browser window? Like everybody asks that question that I, in my experience, it's like the natural next question. And the answer is, you can't. Right. You That's really just terrible. can't, you know, unless you just do really weird things like at, tell JavaScript to measure the container, do a little logic in your JavaScript that says, if this, then that, if this, then that. And that what it does then is perhaps add a class or something that says this, this element is small. And then write some CSS for that. But we all know that, like, you know, observing the size of a container in JavaScript not only is a bit cumbersome, but it can be slow and a performance hog and stuff. Like, just not where we'd expect to be doing that type of technology work. Yeah, and it's also was previously impossible, which is, like, part of the challenge here is that what, you know, you can sit down and write what you want, but... The complexity underneath that is phenomenal. Like if you've ever watched um, uh, Florian's talk on CSS text and line breaking and line wrapping, he has a 45 minute talk and it's just barely scratching the surface of that. But, you know, to us, text is just magic, right? Like you don't think about the years of development and spec work and uh, testing and interoperability that went into that. So What's not evident is like the amount of magic that you need to create to make container queries work. It's really, really, (laughs) really hard. So it's one thing for us to say, hey, come on, just build it. We want it. It's so obvious. Just build it. But, but, but really it's, you know, it's designing and 
it's on par with designing an aircraft and <laughs> you know it's it's very complex right. yeah yes it is like solving one of the world's great problems <laughs> very difficult <laughs> right. And not everything is this way, right? There's things that can happen in CSS and HTML and JavaScript that are a little bit just like, you know, everything is hard, right? But but there's different levels of hard, and this one just happens to be at the upper echelons of difficulty. Absolutely, yeah. That's um, like any engineering. There's all kinds of problems. I, I I think most people have had this experience where you you go in with a client, and you're doing work with them, and they see something develop in prototypes and it's like boom 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 really you know uh, really fast and then they ask for this thing that seems really small and you're like that's actually really hard <laughs> that's going to take a while <laughs> and it's really hard to explain why that is um but then they can ask for something that they think is really complicated and you say oh yeah that's actually really easy um it's definitely like that there's all kinds of scale of things. There's things that can happen really quickly and things that are actually really difficult. And just like other software projects, what we try to do with the really difficult things is break them down into smaller achievable steps. Yeah. I was going to say that's, I, I felt like your, you know, container query post, which is, uh, very, I, I think it's great to like finally, and maybe we need to explain what Egalia does, but like to have like browser people start kind of ch- chiming in because before it was just kind of JavaScript author, you know, library authors and things like that. But now it's kind of browser folks um, in, in your company, I guess, would fall into that, um, <laughs> that sphere mm-hmm. um, starting to chime in. And, you know, you, you kind of said in your post, like, this is a big problem and has a lot of weird, you know, the recursive logic thing of container queries is like a big issue. Uh, but what you kind of said was like, hey, here, we could probably get this like switch statement basically developed very cheaply. And and I'd be curious kind of like how you got to that conclusion or or even like, you know, what is the feasibility? Are people interested in that? And then... I think beyond that, there was also a, a Firefox proposal recently too, which is kind of in this same uh, spectrum. But in the past, I don't know, uh, nine months, there have been like I don't know a hundred different ideas thrown around and history reviewed and looked at and dead ends followed and um, looking at where you could split the problem. So one of the things that we were able to do like two years ago, roughly, was say, okay, look, people are trying to do this with JavaScript. There is no real way to do this with JavaScript because there's nothing that lets you observe a box. And we don't know how we'll solve all of the circularity problems, but there's some basic ones that definitely need to be solved. So we need an algorithm for that, and we need the internal machinery. So that led to specking Resize Observer, and that got implemented really, really quickly um, and iterated really quickly because we got things wrong, actually, when Chrome did it originally. So that's a JavaScript API for watching a box. So it's related here. And certainly when that dropped, there was some talk like a little bit of a, of a like, you know, hand rubbing, like, we did it. Just use JavaScript now. Um, but it's still cool, though. I not to not to be a bummer about Resize Observer. It's a great API, or at least it is now, right? Or would you say that? <laughs> uh, I think it is really great that we have it because um, 
you know, each of these steps can take a year or two years. And like, you know, the hardest thing is not being able to move at all. We can give developers a way to do the thing that they couldn't do before. They can do it with a lot more surety than they could before and a lot more efficiently. And they can help figure out some of the harder problems that deal with like recursion and circularity and designs. So, yeah, I mean, that's actually a big part of my sort of like ethos about standards is that like the economics of standards for developers is kind of broken. You can't sit and discuss things for 10 years like you have stuff to do, right? Um, a much easier thing is here is a thing that makes it easier for us to discuss and maybe gives you some real value in your real job right now. So like if you have a container queries problem right now, that at least helps you address it. It's not the ultimate solution, but it helps us get to the ultimate solution. Because one of the things that you can do is show us the use cases, which is very difficult because like so many things aren't even used for what they were created for <laughs> radio and telegraph and like everything that is invented winds up being useful for so much more than we imagined it for. So once you get the powers out there and we see what people are doing with it, that really helps inform other things as well. Like Edison and did Edison invent the radio or whatever? <laughs> I don't know. Let's say he did. Uh, but like, he wasn't like, and then people would use this to look at babies inside mother's tummies. You know, <laughs> that wasn't like on the spectrum of like, here's what I'll do. I'll use sound to look at babies. Yeah, not that only that, but even further than that, like, um, you know, we invented the phonograph thinking that people would record their voice and mail it via the mail to someone else. Yeah. And uh, we created the telephone thinking that people would like uh, attend operas and things via their telephone. Um, oh, yes. Like the, it's amazing. <laughs> actually. Yeah. Sound. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think it's just, yeah, the, the use cases I can think of right now are just whatever, uh, uh, whatever, very minor to compared to what what would actually happen if we got something like this in the browser. So So I think I might have like actually sidestepped Chris's question there. I apologize. Um, But I think that the question about like how we got to the switch thing. Well, we jumped ahead. I'm interested in the switch thing, but you're kind of saying resize observer was a step toward in the right direction. And you, what we're talking about now isn't like, I don't know what a lot of developers, perhaps myself included, imagine the final state of container queries look like, but there's been another step. What is that step? Is that what you, that's the switch stuff? Right, right. So the question is like, what are the next steps? And the next steps really have to do with figuring out how we don't uh, have to re-architecture all of CSS in a way that is somehow also backward compatible with everything, (laughs) Um, which is sort of demanded by a lot of solutions right now. So, Uh, there's sort of a decision, uh, not a decision, but an agreement that finding where this sort of naturally slots into the architecture makes a lot of sense. Uh, And so in discussions, uh, uh, there were a lot of discussions about things that people had tried and where they fit. Um, Other people have come up with something similar to this. I think Martin Oshweger has a thing that is like sort sort of similar to this in user space. But the idea is that uh, you have the selector matching phase and then you have like the layout phase 
and you have painting, like you have all these individual stages. And there's the place where you want this to happen internally. Like, forget about how we write it for a minute, but internally where it needs to happen is like right at the like layout phase, right? So like when we're figuring out those those boxes, that's when we need to do the work uh, and we need to do it without somehow recomputing the universe. Um, so like that most naturally fits into the individual properties. So the idea with the switch statement is, um, or the, the switch function is what if we could express it that way, that might be useful as a as a small thing. You could do a whole bunch of cases. You could preprocessor to pretty and sugar it up to do more complex things. But if we could figure that out, if we could do some prototyping on that, if we can make ourselves feel good that that's the internal solution, then we're talking about higher level things after that that ultimately just map to that. Okay, okay. Does it make sense? So. Or? Yeah, it's so the layout the layout step, and I, people that work in performance and stuff probably watch for that. I mean, everybody probably has a little bit of familiarity, right? Like we had a what was that show? Amy something, Dave. Oh, I'm so sorry, Amy, but she had this. She was did this research looking into the different parts of how the browser renders things. But the but layout is one of those steps, and you can even see it in Dev Tools, right? Like when the relayout happens, that's like a step that the browser does. Yeah, so uh, that's the kind of Amy moment. Knight. Yeah, it was, it was Amy Knight episode three hundred six, April tenth, twenty eighteen. I think that um, Eric Portis actually has a really great talk where he illustrates this. I don't know, maybe I can provide it for you for the show notes or something. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Jetpack. Jetpack is a plug-in for your self-hosted WordPress site. Uh, I have a bunch of self-hosted WordPress sites, sites like CSS Tricks, and I think it's probably the most important plugin that I run. It's not a plugin that just does one little thing. Jetpack is just, it's like this huge feature set, and each one of those features is super useful. Huge things like it backs up the site and back it up in real time. Incredible. It'll warn you when your site goes down. Uh, it'll block spam from your comments, which is incredible. CSS Tricks probably gets 10 times more spam comments than regular comments, and largely I don't see it at all. It'll update your plugins. It'll add security features like people trying to brute force log into your website. It'll allow you to log in easier because it allows you to some single sign-on stuff from WordPress.com. That's the first tab of features from Jetpack, which is amazing. Uh, I think image performance is a super big deal on websites. I just use Jetpack Raw for images on CSS Tricks, even though I'm like an image nerd and want to like do the best that I possibly can. WordPress does such a good job anyway. Way. It does responsive images naturally. You flip on the site accelerator feature, and then there's CDN hosted too. Then you flip on lazy loading, and you get that too, even in browsers that don't support native lazy loading. Incredible image handling just by toggling on a few tabs, uh, which is amazing. Their 
instant search feature, which is just launching. They already have a really good thing that you just flip it on and your search gets way better, which I use on CSS Direct. And I'll be using this instant search feature, uh, which is just takes that feature set and makes it even awesomer. The full page search experience with all kinds of uh, filter toggles and stuff like that. It's going to be awesome. Now I've covered the first two tabs of Jetpack and there's four tabs to go. So I'm going to stop there for now. Uh, Jetpack for WordPress is awesome. Why this syn- Why is this syntax so good? And by this syntax, maybe I'll attempt to radio explain it a little bit. But let's say you wanted to set, I don't know, the in your post you use grid template columns, which is a very relatable property we would use in CSS that we'd want to change at different widths. Not only of the browser, we're not talking about the browser width, we're talking about the, the width of itself, you know, the width of a container itself. Uh You'd say, you know, hey, when this thing is real wide, when this, you know, when this container is real wide, I want it to be like a three column layout with this special stuff. And when it's, you know, a bit narrower than that, I want to bump down to a two column layout with this special situation. And when it's real narrow, you know, the typical phone kind of situation, I want to bump down to a one column layout. That's the exactly the kind of thing we want to do with container queries. And so there's a, syntax in your post here which i it's not you know it's very far from final i assume right but it's the kind of it's the kind of thing that has browser vendors and uh, i don't know who, who's saying yes to this who's saying like mm, the... uh well i don't know that anybody is saying yes to it um <laughs> but uh yes is a very final end of the road kind of thing but um, or like not saying that looks scary yeah, so did actually, I get that syntax right as well? That switch statement is, is that characterized yeah, correctly? Yeah, I think yeah, you okay. characterized it very well. Um, so actually, in a lot of conversations that came out, we were sort of beating around this and the idea, like not the syntax or anything, but the idea of where to slot it in, uh, actually was brought up by uh, Ian Kilpatrick from Google, uh, who is uh, kind of brilliant in my opinion. <laughs> um and uh, we ran this around a whole bunch of people at CSS Working Group, uh, people from uh, like Apple and Mozilla and uh, Microsoft and you know, just other participants. And uh, everybody was of the opinion that this seems like really interesting to pursue. Um, but it's not the only idea. So- <laughs> there, are, there are actually... Uh, David has a whole stack of ideas. Um, and okay, okay. This David Barron. From yes, David Barron from, from Mozilla. Mozilla. Yeah. And um, well, that's cool. And actually, we we had come up with a, a different idea altogether, which might still be interesting or useful. But I think that this is probably one of the one of the two that is going to get some traction. I, I think I have some peers at Egalia who are that's pretty just cool. beginning to maybe dig into some code and experiment to flesh it out a little bit. So this just is, it's at like the property level of CSS. Like when you're trying to declare a property, you have this opportunity to ask how wide the parent is, or parent is probably not the right word, but container and then make that property have a value that's based on that size. 
that's pretty great. I think that probably solves a lot of what people are asking for. Now, syntax-wise, I could see people being like, that's a little weird, or like, why is this so different than having it just be a an at an at command kind of thing? But whatever, you know, at some point you gotta just be like, I don't care, you do you. I just want to be able to do this. <laughs> right. Um so everybody wants to be able to get to the higher level thing. Um the, I think the challenge here is to focus the conversation on where the problems are and where there are like um, concrete steps and concrete things we can solidify to make those higher level things more achievable. Like the history of the high level things that everybody thinks is also usually not entirely correct. Um, things take way longer than we imagine them, the high level things for the most part. Why do, why do you think that is? Is there, you know, is there a reason? <laughs> I, 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 there, I think we kind of talked, you know, there's like the main element took like 10 years and it's a spicy div. <laughs> um, but like, and then there's that sort of, I well, kerfluffle, I guess last summer uh, with like the standard toast um, that, that Google kind of really, they, they were just intent to prototype, but, but I think the whole world or a lot of the web, uh, standard East does, uh, and East does kind of, uh, sort of reacted like, well, what are you doing? Um, uh, and so I, I guess, and, and it seemed like they were on a two week flight path for an element and, and versus like, like a 10 year. And so I guess like, what, I guess, what is your idea? Like what, or what is your feeling? Like, why do elements like high level things take so long? And, and I think I know the answer to this as well, but like, how, how do we make that better? How do we make it not 10 years? Um, so Maine is a particularly like terrible example that even I throw out, uh, as just an extreme thing. Um, I mean, it could be progress or meter or, you know, like, like details, dialogue, hell. Details is a great example, actually. We got the last implementation of details, like, basically last month or something like that when we switched to Chromey Edge. Um, input type color, we only got the last implementation of last year. Um, like, there are still things that are rolling in from HTML5, which a lot of people declared done a long time ago. Um so uh, the reason that is complicated is because uh, you have to run multiple gauntlets. Um, you, you have to run the what is a reasonable discussion gauntlet, which is sometimes different because people have even different perspectives about the sort of role of the web and what it should play. Um, like Apple and Google, for example, have different perspectives on some of this. Um, there are people who are not even browser vendors who have strong opinions in other directions as well. So there's the conversation part. Um, but then a big thing that plays into that is what do you have right now? Like we have three different rendering engines that have taken like basically 30 years to be created. They're very, very complicated things. And there are things that we know that are wrong with them today and big efforts to help us escape those bounds. Uh, like multi-year, multi-million dollar efforts to make your browser parallelizable, be able to take advantage of multi-cores, 
you know, include new things, um, to be able to, uh, do things like regions and exclusions and all of the print use cases that we've never been able to take up. Um, so, you know, you have this software today and when these asks come in, everybody has to consider like, what is the possibility that we can get there? And like, is this a priority now it's competing for everything else? And then the other aspect of that is like, once you actually agree, then people actually need to prioritize it. And everybody has different budgets and different constraints. And um, like an example that I like to give is if you're a user of an app and you have some problem with internationalization and then you see that app update this whole new shiny UI with all this new skinning and everything, but your internationalization problem isn't solved your immediate reaction as a user is like, they think, Come that, on. right. They think that that is more important than the other thing. But in reality, maybe what you don't know is that like the designers finished up another project early and they had some cycles, but like the internationalization people all got the flu or something, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. there are practical things uh, and smaller things that you can actually accomplish uh, are easier to prioritize, just like in any other software project. I think I heard a, a talk by Mike Taylor from Mozilla, and he was talking about window.event, which is a, a thing in old IE that made its way into Conqueror, or that made its way into WebKit, that made its way into Chrome, and everywhere but Firefox, because it was not a standard API. And it's like, basically, window.event is like, whatever the last event that showed up was or whatever, um, whatever the current working event is. And so they implemented it in Firefox and then, uh, you know, it takes months and they run tests and they kind of, you know, kind of fly it through betas and things. And then, and this is for a, not a new thing. This is for an old thing <laughs> that's already on every website. And then they sh- ship it out and like Jira goes down or something like that. Yeah. And they're like, Oh no. Yeah what happened and it, there was some code somewhere in confluence or jira or something uh-huh. or some WYSIWYG that just bit the dust when firefox had window.event oh, gosh. and so they and, and it, so there's code in firefox now that's like if you go to, like don't don't have window.event on on confluence or whatever <laughs> so, on yeah. one um, url oh god well there's like a handful i think but there's like it's like feature flagging on you know something but it's you know um, but they're doing this for backwards compatibility, not even for like for non-spec stuff, but it's, it was hard to get a non-spec thing out, you know? Um, it's very, it's very, very hard there. The, the platform is full of all of these like legacy warts and decisions that we can't take back easily. And then there's other things that are become de facto standards. Like here's, here's a good story. Um, like, uh, the JavaScript specification from way, way back said that like the iteration order of things is like undefined, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Like it's uh, here is a bag and any way that you iterate it is fine. Um, uh, Java had a similar thing with this, with their hash maps uh, back in the day where it, that's what the spec said. It's not guaranteed. There's no predictable iteration order, but in fact, everybody implemented approximately the exact same thing which was that there was a stable 
iteration order. That was like insertion order. Whatever order the keys were inserted, that's the way it would iterate. And someone, I think it was Opera, it might have been Google, uh, when they were redoing JavaScript engine things, said, well, you know, we can do this thing and really speed up performance and follow the spec and not copy that. That that can't be important, it's not in the spec. But then, like, stuff like Gmail broke. <laughs> Um, because people come to rely on that behavior. Wow. Yeah. You're not a, just up against like whatever browsers all getting together. You're up against past behavior and adoption. And all right. I mean, there's the whole thing. Like we have to rename pieces of JavaScript because of Moo tools and exactly. Um, and it's not, it's not that easy. So that's kind of part of the gauntlet stuff you're sort of talking about. Yep. Yep. And so just those kind of challenges are really, um, they're, they're really challenging. But I think, I think the thing that I'm really trying to talk about a lot this year is to explain to people that really ultimately so much of this is impacted either just directly or down the line with like what we're open to discuss right now has to do with like, can we get this prioritized? Like, what is the likelihood that we can actually get this prioritized? And um, for most of the web's, well, for the web's first 15 years, basically, the web was dominated by proprietary engines. And uh, historically, all of the decisions have been made by the people funding those engines. Uh, but that is completely reversed now. Everything, all of the engines are open source. And uh, Egalia, the company that I work for, the reason I came to work here, actually, is because um, we expand that by allowing other people to put dollars and implementation priority toward things. Mm -hmm. So we can remove that aspect in a really big way, right? I mean, that doesn't mean you can just do whatever, but it means that like all of the pressures that come with the prioritization problem are lifted and expanded. I think that's really cool. If the world was still all proprietary browsers, like in-house, not open source, Egalia wouldn't exist, right? Because it's irrelevant in that world. I think it's probably worth saying, like Egalia, in my mind, is sort of this, uh, I don't know, A-team for hire. uh, And you'll pay paratroop into any uh, hot zone and uh, (laughs) fight some battle that like a normal browser is like we don't have or, or like I, I guess one of the big vendors doesn't have the time or, or expertise i guess to uh build out and because because you'll Egalia will work on firefox features webkit features chrome features um it, it kind of spans the the whole spectrum yes is that right yes we work on all of the we work on all of the javascript engines and all of the rendering engines um and then, and and then your clients end up being like AMP or something <laughs> like like everyone's favorite framework. Um, our, our clients are really really diverse. Um, we have contracts with like all of the browsers and multiple properties. And also, if you go to webkit.org/slash/download, um, three of the browsers on that page are actually maintained by Egalia, um, not Apple. So we're we're close partners in in that as well, and we do that. Those are for like Linux and embedded systems, and uh, the embedded systems work is like phenomenally interesting. Like the new things that it enables you to think about and prioritize. 
are like pressures in standardization that the web has never had, and they're really good. Have you seen the thing about um, hardware accelerated SVG? No, I, I've only heard, but I don't know anything. Okay, so it. I assumed it was already somewhat hardware accelerated. It, it is, is not a device, but it is not. Wow. Um, so I actually have a podcast thing that I do called Egalia Chats, and I have a thing that will be on that. Um, I'll I hope you both listen to it. It is uh, about how we wind up there and that Egalia is actually like leading the charge in making that happen, which is um, a thing that, for example, like Sarah Jasner has been on for a long time. Like we need to get these things hardware accelerated. So it's, I think it's very Dude. cool. Yeah. Wow. I look forward to that as is an that? SVG lover. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by AWS Amplify. You know AWS, right? Uh, uh, Amazon Web Services. It powers most of the internet, it feels like. There's a ton of things that go in the AWS bucket, like EC2. allows you to like spin up servers of your choice and has all kinds of configuration. And like S3 is for file storage and Lambdas is for running cloud functions. All kinds of stuff that individually you can set up and use and are great. Uh, but there's so much more than that. You know, there's a ton of different things AWS does. AWS Amplify is kind of a package of tools to help you build full stack apps for the web. So it's it's like, I don't know, just give me the stuff that I need that usually you need to build an app. So Amplify is hosting. You need web hosting, it's got that. It's got authentication for logins for your users. It's got GraphQL as a first-class citizen of it. It's got serverless functions, like I need you know, the Lambda thing. I want to run some code in the cloud to hit APIs and do whatever else I need to. And it's got file storage if you need it. It's got some machine learning stuff in there if you need it. So Amplify is this you know, easy-to-use full-stack framework for getting started quick with building web apps is really cool. The auth stuff alone is cool. It's just a few lines of code in there. GraphQL has taken over the world of how to... Uh, 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 get things from a database, put things back in a database, really front-end development-friendly way to do database stuff. Love GraphQL. It's just built in as a first-class citizen. It's the scalable API. You just, it just you don't have to provision your own servers. It just does it up for you. Uh, pretty cool. So AWS Amplify is really cool. Definitely worth checking out, especially as a front-end developer. So check all that out. I'm looking at like a WebKit status board and they have supported in preview things that are coming out in the next next one. And there's like Resize Observer, which I think y'all worked on, right? We did, yes. Um, and then Visual Viewport API. Did you work on that? Uh, I don't know. It seems like Maybe. connected to Resize Observer, which is why I was like wondering. But anyway, that's, those are the only two things. So <laughs> that are coming in Safari, apparently. But um uh yeah, I just I just I don't think I knew that Egalia A existed for quite a while and then but it's cool to see like this idea of like you know well here's kind of an independent non Google Microsoft you know company that that could potentially be hired to 
implement a feature, which leads me to my next question. How much is it going to cost Dave Rupert LLC to get container? <laughs> Let's get there in a minute, but can we cap off this <laughs> container query? Cause I, because that Dave's joking, but he's kind of not really joking. Cause there, it looks like there's a, there's a, there's a world in which, uh, this thing is going to be that type of thing is going to be I've been saving up with. all my shop. Talk <laughs> I know. Thank you. Uh, I know. I'm thinking <laughs> a few you. hundred bucks is going to go a long way here, but we talked, cause we talked about running multiple gauntlets and I want to just cap off the container queries thing with that. So we, you know, Brian's post talked about resize observer. That was a whole thing. It took a year or two to get in or something. And that was like pretty good actually. And now, Hey, maybe we'll get some kind of switch statement, which I think the world would rejoice for. And that first gauntlet to run was the conversation gauntlet. Make sure people are involved in talking. Cause I would imagine that if, if you jumped to the next thing, which is probably some attempt at specking maybe or implementation even that if you skip the talking phase people would be like uh what <laughs> oh yeah yeah uh, there's nothing right? that will kill an idea faster than than uh, having not somebody talked about it th- then having somebody sort of convey somehow that it is further along than it is which is actually really challenging and i think the thing that dave was talking about about um the high level proposal uh, that Google did with like switch and toast uh, and like what, what killed that a lot of that was killed by effectively messaging, which is a shame because uh, honestly, the interesting part about what they proposed had very little to do with either of those elements and a lot more to do with the the stack of vision and discussion and proposals that came with it that unfortunately didn't get discussed very much because uh, there, yeah, there was a cool, like it was a three things, right? Like a new, new elements, like, but then there's this idea, like let's ship a web component first and then it gets standardized. And then there's another idea of like, let's do web components, but like already embedded in the browser. And, and there's a standard liberty library, <laughs> standard library, standard library of elements, you know, inside the computer inside the browser and, but all those things happened all at once. And I think it was like a shock. Yeah. I mean, I think that was the really interesting thing there because like, um, like we haven't had new elements in a long time I mean, we have, but not the, the kind that get everybody excited. <laughs> um, so the, the thing that's interesting there is that like the way that we got to HTML five, cause if you recall, um, the web was stuck because, 95% of it was IE. And even when Safari came along or when, when WebKit first came along, you know, it had just the tiniest percent of users. And if you were working on websites, you were like, oh, that HTML5 thing is cool, but like, is it worth me doing something for like 1% of my users? It was a really hard challenge, like a chicken and egg problem. And polyfills really helped us you know, developers helped incentivize that game and got us out of that bind. And the thing is that polyfilling elements in what I call sort of like the first era of polyfilling, um, like that was a terrible experience because you're not polyfilling. You're just like, it's basically a library, right? Like you have to take your DOM and transform it into some completely other thing. And then what do you do? Like you have to reason about like two different sets of CSS selectors and you're better off just always using the library and then sort of 
what is the point? Um, so, uh, you know, there were a whole lot of questions raised back then, um, about like how we go digging ourselves out of this problem. And, um, like Google's proposal, uh, included things like, um, well, what if we just removed the, what if we just said that basically HTML itself is like done and then we have like these extension specs, um, and we can serve those in a way that they can be progressively enhanced so that you get parity. You could actually polyfill elements more or less. Um, but we could ship those same implementations in the browser, which is like really an interesting set of ideas that I would really have liked to see discussed more. But toast, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I don't, you know, that was tricky. I'm sure there's just piles and piles of nuance to all of that. But to some regard, I, I would d- defend the people who cried foul a little bit in saying that I'm glad there's still watchdogs out there. Because if there aren't, if, if nobody yells, then it's dangerous. Yeah, I don't fault anybody for having that reaction. I mean, like, uh, um, it, it should have been messaged more carefully and there were some pretty obvious things like that the intents are like dramatically misunderstood what they were supposed to be what they're supposed to mean so yeah i mean it's just it's not to blame any particular person or people it's just unfortunate that like we got distracted by something that wasn't really the cool thing right well and there's yeah there's so many like i don't know it comes down to the people problems, you know, uh, and that's, I guess why it, the gauntlet is hard is there's a lot of people involved kind of, at, especially as a thing matures, you know, I can build a thing myself and it's works great, but then I invite, you know, non-sighted people to use it and it doesn't work so great. Or if I invite, you know, like as my, exposure grows and it becomes more official official more opinions jump in and and could crash the velocity of it oh yeah there's uh it's just an increasing number of things you need to consider and uh, especially when you talk about web standards because you're sort of dictating things in many different architectures for historically a very few people do you know what i mean like a, a mm-hmm. historically a very few groups of people would have to prioritize and get the work done. So that also made it really challenging. So there's, yeah. Okay. I think that's about good on that. Like there's these gauntlets to run and, and talking about it and standardizing it and implementing it and all that. And it's complicated and there's different companies involved and Mm -hmm. uh, priorities that have to be prioritized and stuff and that leads us to it's just another reason that galley is interesting is that you your priority levels are don't have to match any other company's priority levels i mean these browser engines are open source all of them are now and presumably they're at least a little amicable to taking outside contributions they obviously are right because you've implemented all kinds of stuff yeah we have actually great relationships with all of them so um they are very open and, and want other people to contribute. Um, and, and people, people do. If Firefox is busy on something else, because, you know, well, we all know Firefox right now is on this massive privacy kick. Every message out of that company right now is like, we'll save you from the horribleness of the web. So maybe they're a little bit more worried about working on stuff like that 
than they are working on some new color functions. Maybe just ain't nobody got time for new color functions over at Mozilla right now. I have no idea if that's actually true, but let's say it is. That's okay, because you could, if you really cared, or I really cared, or Dave Rupert LLC really cared, could get involved and get these new color functions going, whatever they are. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, in that particular example, there's another aspect of that that is like worth pointing out, which is that those are different people that work for Mozilla, right? Um, f- by and large, the people who would be implementing color functions are probably not the people who are working on security features. Um, even yeah, within- fair enough, right? It's not always the same people. It's often not or never is, maybe. <laughs> yeah. It feels like, it feels like to me though, like the existence of a Gallia is like it sort of takes the. I, I always think of like person hours, you know, for a browser per quarter or something, and then that's when I get a new feature once a quarter or something. And it seems like a very fixed asset, you know. Like, but a Gallia, this idea of like, well, there's this company that could just, you know, based on the number of dollars that go in. They could scale up and and find enough C developers to to implement features or whatever. But um, it's just an interesting like it it relieves a little bit of like this constraint for me to know like independent companies can kind of start building and contributing features uh, into browsers, especially because they're not closed source anymore. So that would be way harder to get like an NDA from Microsoft to go work on edge H or whatever mm-hmm. trident. Right. You know? Yeah. I think it's very, very cool. And I'm interested in like continuing to expand this as much as we can. Um, we're actually uh, going to um, do a sort of crowdfunding based prioritization. Experiment. What? All right, here we go. Here's the thing. Let's talk about the thing. Let's say let's say there's Patreon for browser features, right? Or whatever. How do you want to talk about that? Like that seems yes. like a thing that could and probably will happen at some point. Yeah, no, it's it's definitely going to happen. Um so the particular platform we're still working out a, a few things, but the the basic idea is uh for this experiment we're going to focus on uh like achievable things that are uncontroversial. So we're not going to get container queries in this experiment. Um, one of the things that we will probably offer is um, some work on one of the proposals, uh, like implementation, e- experimentation work, and maybe some specking kind of stuff. Um, but you'll see that the, uh, the rest of them are like concrete things that have like a definite, this, you're going to see some actual real value in the browser. Um, like, for example, uh, one of the things, like you mentioned, is color functions. So uh, WebKit is working on the color functions, and Chrome began work on color functions. So if we can close up the Firefox one, then all browsers will have that very soon. Um, so that's a concrete thing that you can say, if we invest in that, we'll get that. And that has like a, a finite time. We kind of understand the time scale and everything. But if we say, or we take that same amount of money and invest it in maybe experimenting for proof in this thing that might still not happen, <laughs> um, that it's a little bit harder for people to want to invest in that, right? So the idea is we'll 
lay out uh, a whole bunch of uncontroversial things that are uh, in a couple of buckets of sizes. And then it will be sort of um, race to fund, right? Like one of these will fund and that's the one we're going to do. Um, okay. Okay. I didn't realize it was like that. It's like a, I don't know. It's like a vote, you know, like you go to the, you put a dollar in the bucket for the, for the prize and the one with the most dollars in the bucket wins the thing that you're going to do next. So I think what's interesting about that is that that is how prioritization works, right? Like you have a fixed number, like you can only do one. You have to pick one, which boy does the one. So that that's part of the purpose of this small experiment. Also, um, uh, it's not that we can't do any more of these. We certainly can. Um, if a single company wanted to work with us, that is what we do today. A lot of what we do today, definitely come talk to us. But, um, you know, if this is successful, then we'll do more. We'll, and uh, the, the challenge is how much bandwidth do we keep available to work on a thing? So currently we have bandwidth available for one of these experiments. So that is, again, the prioritization problem. So... Yeah, I think it could be interesting. I no, I think it's cool. I think like I think one example we said in DMs or something was like math ML or or math markup, you know, which is like maybe something you're already working on. Just but apparently it's in. You were saying it's in every browser, but it was ripped out of Chrome at some point, or like on the big Blink fork, um, just because it was kind of a mess or whatever. Um, but you know, like Dave Rupert does not care about math. I don't want to put my dollars on math, you know. But you know, MIT probably super does. Or, or like you know, now that kids all go to school online now, maybe math on the web should get priority. You know, like maybe there's there's way more interest in in expressing math in HTML, and so it's yeah, you know, I I think that's. You know, not to not to be super capitalist about it, but like there there is in some ways you can be like this this is actually important to us. I want to put money behind it. Like at least get an implementation in this one browser that, you know, is missing or something. Um and, and then y'all, because you're more I guess experienced, you know, Dave Rupert, I could crack I can fork blink, you know. I know how to do that. <laughs> but like I'm not I'm not able to surf the the browser process, you know, fluidly, that would be a nightmare. So, um, I, I think like y'all are way more equipped to do that and it'd be way worth my, whatever shop talk bucks to, to you know, chip into something in, uh, in a big effort. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we are, yeah, we are doing that with math. Um, uh, I have several blog posts about that on my blog. You can go read. I won't take a bunch of time with that. And also I did one of those Agalia chats on, on that. Um, but I, I, I do think that that is uh, a thing that I spent most of the history of my career being in a very simple, similar place. Like, well, you know, I, I, I've never needed math in the things that I work on, um, to share math personally. Um, but at the same time, um, like at CERN, when they were making the early browsers, uh, like there was support for math because like this was, there were two things that were really, really obvious that were needed. One was graphics, uh, like vector graphics, and the other was math. Um, 
So even back then, CERN's browser had experimental support for a math thing, and it was one of the first things that was created at W3C. Um, it's obvious that there's a need for it, and it is clearly if you want to share research or you want to do learning or whatever, you, you know, we say you don't put images, uh, you don't put text in images, right? Like that's well-established mm -hmm. rule. But math is math is text. Um, it's not it's not images. It's text. And so, if you change your background color, you want to make sure that it changes. If you change your font color, you want to make sure that it changes. You want to make the denominator clickable, et cetera. Right. So, those are I think those are really important. Um, good for society, but for a lot of us, maybe not immediately exciting because it doesn't help us get container queries or. <laughs> Uh, I don't know, better high def color or something. Yeah, like ultra high def color, or like uh, I, Dave Rupert, want like accessibility functions. You know, yes. like like ensure contrast and stuff like that. And I know, like figuring out color is a step towards that or whatever. But then, um, you know, I, I think I'm looking at your blog right now and you have like top level weight. Well, that's something a lot of people want, you mm -hmm. know? And mm -hmm. so maybe they'd all want to chip in on that. So that's kind of a cool, cool Avenue for us normies, I guess is what I want to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have things in this list uh, of things. I mean, we can uh, maybe talk about like focus visible in WebKit is, yes. is one that I think I'll, I'll would be really good. Um, I'm biased because I help define it. Um, in there, <laughs> I have the same bias. <laughs> But I think yes. that that would be huge. Yeah, and that's a good one. Um, yeah, it is. There's a selector list for not, I think, is one. Um, containment in WebKit is probably really interesting because if we wanted to get any of David Barron's proposals, the first thing is you need some kind of containment, and WebKit doesn't have that yet. Um, there's a grid and flex on buttons. I don't know. Maybe I can share. Maybe I can share the oh, list. Flex of things, gap, but I want flex gap. If you have <laughs> uh, ideas that you would like to talk to me about as possibilities, definitely let me know. Hit me up on Twitter or email or whatever. And so the idea is that the point of this is that individual developers like the three of us, you know, maybe not you, Brian, because you work on this, so you're disqualified, but like we're. Oh, no, no. I'm going to give some bucks to something. Are you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you establish an independent corporation, and that corporation can. We throw some bucks at at these features, and the and then and then and then it gets done. And that, the, how satisfying is that? And we're not just starring tickets anymore; we're funding it actually happening, which is so cool. And not and the companies maybe can do this too, but at a different scale, right? Like if there's some really rich company out there that wants something to happen but doesn't have the expertise, but they do have the money. They could participate in this too, but they probably have to just talk, talk to Egalia in a different way because the point of this is like not to do that, not to have one overwhelming voice come in and just say, we want to do that. They can still do that, but just that's different part of this experiment. This is more about individual developers having a say in particular features. Exactly. The, the experiment is more than one. And um, there's a question about whether it is possible to like make the more than one into like a million or whether the more than one is like six companies find a way to efficiently reach consensus on what is the actual important thing. Um, because that again, doesn't happen because it's like mostly 
in theory, like you're in theory, you're talking in a working group. And so everything can be important. But then when it comes down to prioritizing, if you say, well, the the five of us need to decide which one, and then we're going to put real dollars toward getting it done. Um, that That is sort of an open question. And I think that the, the key here is that um, there are millions of us developers. Uh, Meetup.com has, I think, 13 million people who identify just on Meetup as web developers. Um, we can act fast, right? Like we can we can make something yeah, happen, yeah. but companies are slow and deliberate in their decision making and budgeting and all that kind of stuff. So um, that's part of the experiment is to see because I I really do think that we can like we can convince one another and that collectively arguing why this one and not that one is actually a helpful like it's a helpful exercise yeah let people do it with dollars and buckets that's cool and and for the record you can't put your dollar in the um in the container query bucket because it's too it's too big of a bucket it's too weird the point of this experiment is a little more scoped down because that one's big and unknown and vast and the rest of and these ideas sounds like for round one will be a little more easily actionable Right. Uh, and this is not live yet, nor does it have a launch date. So if you're excited about this, you know, just hold your horses and you'll hear from Brian, I'm sure, at some point when it is. Yeah. And tell me if there's something that you think fits this criteria, like a, a pain point uh, that you, you think could be addressed that is like uncontroversial. It's just like it's lacking in some browser or something. Does that, I guess, like, um, I, I know. Um, I'm Googling it right now. The web we want dot uh, FYI. Is that what it is? Um, yes, it is. Uh, um, you know, it, like this could play into that too. Not, you don't have to, don't listen to me. Don't take product advice from me, but, but there's, there's a lot of ideas. Like I want this in the browser. I want this in the browser. Like there's a, there's a lot of demand, I guess <laughs> there's a lot of wants and grievances. And, and I feel like this is an outlet to, uh, maybe help solve some of that. Yep. I like it. I sign. I, I sign. I like it. Cool. I like it. That's about all the time we have. All right. Yeah. We should wrap up because we are at time. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show and um, wowing us with your <laughs> kind of browser insights. I, I think, you know, we talk about browsers a lot on the show and it's probably painful for you to listen. So appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I really, I love listening to the show and uh, I think it's great. So thanks so much it, for having it me. It's nice to get somebody uh, with some expertise, but for those who aren't following you, uh, watching your speed paintings and um, uh, giving you money, how can they do that? Uh, you can follow me at Brian Cardell on Twitter is the best way. You can check out my blog, bcardell.com. Awesome. Yep. Cool. And we'll keep an eye out for this, uh, this, big Kickstarter for features. Looking forward to it. Um, and thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast or choice. Be sure to start heart favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. Uh, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you and start saving your money because I'm going to ask you to fund Focus Visible. Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? <gasps> Shoptalkshow.com.